If you were forced to wear a burqa to escape from Afghanistan, what would you do with it when eventually you reached safety? In this report, Claudia Taranto finds the answers in a, in a new exhibition in Newcastle. It's called Social Fabric, Afghan-Australian Stories in Thread, and it's produced by Shared World yeah, Collective. They used to be your burqa. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I changed them in these beautiful dresses to show that we have the right to choose our coverage. No? Congratulations. I really appreciate this kind of That's job. fashion designer Samira Yama at the opening of Social Fabric, Afghan-Australian Stories in Thread. To meet Samira today in her fashionable millennial-style dress, you wouldn't know that just 18 months ago, when she was escaping the Taliban, she was forced to cover her whole face and body in a burqa. It was the first time in her life she'd had to wear one. I was very angry. I was very un- uncomfortable. It's heavy and it's hot. And the bad thing is you can't see in front and your sides. You can just see a stride. So when you want to cross the street, it's very dangerous. What did you decide to do after you crossed the border? Actually, one of my friends by the name of uh, Susan, she said, you can burn it. Like a protest, burn your burqa. Yeah. Yeah. I said, OK, that's a good idea. But when I arrived in uh, Pakistan and I feel more safe after that, uh, I said, OK, if I burn it here, the story will will finish here and will forget here. So... I should do something that continue and be like a voice for other women. So because of that, I said, okay, I will change it to some party dresses or wedding dresses and will show to other people. And when she arrived in Australia, that's exactly what Samira did. She designed flirty party dresses, all made out of her blue burkas. I love casual dresses. All my dresses, they are very comfortable and uh, some of them, they haven't any sleeves. sleeves yeah. Uh, one is short. so Very short. They're mini dresses. Yeah, yeah. I love short dresses. How did you design the dresses? I, I just uh, painted everything that was in my mind on a paper and then I explained to Taylor that I want something like that. Samira was used to having her designs made up by a tailor. But in Australia, she struggled to find someone to work with. When she eventually did find two Afghan tailors here in Blacktown, she asked them to make dresses out of her burqas or burqaras. They laughed at me first and they said, why you want to change this burqa in a, a dress? There are lots of fabrics here in Australia and they send me some uh, addresses. Um, and I said, uh, no, just I want to change this uh, book red dress. But one of Taylor's, he was from Herat. That's your home city? Yeah, my home city. And uh, when they understood about the story of book the man from Herod, he encouraged me and he said, you're very brave and he 
he was talking very proudly that the girls in uh, Herat, they are very brave and always they try to break taboos. But how did Samira's burqa dresses end up on display at the Newcastle Library in the Social Fabric Exhibition? Well, when she was waiting in Pakistan for her Australian visa to come through, she was introduced on WhatsApp to Alyssa Coons from Shared World Collective in Newcastle. And they were both watching Afghan women around the world taking to social media, using fashion to protest against the Taliban takeover. Alyssa Coons. Part of what, what prompted this was this, the protest movement, hashtag do not touch my clothes, which is a movement by Afghan women around the world of them posting photos of themselves wearing their traditional dresses um, as a way to say, here I am as an individual and as a way to push back against the public erasure of women by the Taliban that was coming back in full force um, around September, October 2021. And that's how Samira, Alyssa, and her colleague Katrina Gulbranson came up with the idea of having an exhibition in Newcastle that would showcase Afghan women's fashion. And they'd also use it as a way to build connections between women in the local Afghan community. We've run 12 creative workshops. Um, They've been mainly embroidery and storytelling based workshops for Afghan refugee background women um, to connect with each other, to share some of their heritage and also to delve into some Afghan women poets. Many of the women have amazing sewing, embroidery and creative skills. Um, So it became sort of something that they were all teaching each other, which was really beautiful. One of the teachers in the embroidery workshop was Seema. She spoke to me in Dari. Our translator is Nadja, one of the other workshop facilitators. Who taught you embroidery? Uh, She said, when I get married, I had nine sister-in-laws. So all of them sat together with my mother-in-law and they were doing embroidery work. When I saw them, I get like, uh, I say, oh, I want to learn this one as well. So I was very interested in this work. Uh, My mother-in-law told me. Yes, so if you can see, this is the same design as a flower, but it's just a little bit different. If you can see, this design is like a star. In Afghanistan, that design, they say they they are like mountains. These uh, designs and these uh, uh, traditional, that it's very old from my mother-in-law, from my father-in-law. So, like, day by day, it's gone because girls, they're going to school, they're busy with the studies, but it's gone now. Now it's coming back. Thanks to teachers like Seema, traditional Afghan embroidery techniques and designs are being revived in the Newcastle workshops. There was actually one newly arrived mother and daughter that came. Um, They'd only been in Australia for three months when they started and the mother had done some embroidery but the daughter hadn't. I think I'd say she was in her early 20s so she hasn't grown up in that Taliban time. So it's, it's, she's been at school, which has been wonderful, but she's never actually had the chance to learn that skill. So she was very proud, yeah. Could you just explain to me that history that some women learned and some women didn't? 
Yeah, so we have a, f a few women um, that grew up when the Taliban was in power. And so some of them have said they weren't allowed to go to school at all. They didn't work. For some of them, it, this has been their first chance to actually work or teach, which has been really special for them. So they're very proud of their skills, but also it's one of those mixed feelings. You know, I, I would have loved to have gone to school and go to university, but I wasn't allowed. Um, so instead they stayed at home and they learned to embroider. Yeah. So a lot of the women did do that. Apparently that was one of the things that was allowed uh, under the last Taliban um, rule, um, that women could stay and do that kind of handwork and keep that going at home. And, um, and that was a source of income for them. That was a source of income. Yeah. Um, and for that, some of them said, you know, to keep us busy, to keep us occupied, you know, to keep us sitting in our circles and sharing, it was sort of a bit of a lifeline. And now in Afghanistan, women are again doing embroidery as a way to earn money because they're not allowed to work. Nadia came to Australia because her husband was an interpreter for the ADF, but her sister, who's a doctor, is stuck in Afghanistan and she's now surviving by doing embroidery for the first time in her life. My sister was a talented girl in our school in first position from first year of school until the university. So always my mom, she was saying like, uh, girls, we are six sisters. So they said, come on girls, sit together. Uh, I will show you embroidery and sewing, designing the dress because my mom was housewife. And then my sister was saying, no, I don't like to do this work because I'm very talented. Uh, so when I got married, when I finished my uh, education, I will have my own job. Why I should do this embroidery? I have my pen, I have my computer, I have my mind with me. I don't like to do embroidery. It's hard for me needlework. I don't like it. So when uh, she became a doctor, now the Taliban took over Afghanistan. So now she can't do anything. She can't go to work. She can't even go to uh, like her clinic. Just a few months ago, they killed one of her uh, co-workers. They kidnapped her co-worker from her house and they cut her head and just threw it in the street. So which was very stressful for my sister. So now she's staying home and she's trying to avoid work at home and selling to other people to make money for her kids and her husband. So there's these mixed feelings, you know, and the ethics of, of this sort of this handwork and when it's freely done and when it's culture and it's something special or when it's just like we have to do this because there's no other options for us. So there's a real mixed discussion around handwork and embroidery and, and this type of work for women. But in Newcastle, embroidery has actually been used as a form of protest. One woman, Aziza, embroidered a copy of some street art from Kabul onto a scarf. It shows a woman in a blue burqa playing a musical instrument and behind her there's a Taliban soldier threatening her with a gun. And out, out of the, the musical instrument this woman's playing, you can just see her eyes through, through the grid of the burqa. Um, there's music notes that lead up to a heart um, and I know she's explained it to us that you can't stop women from loving and creating art. As well as the embroidered scarves that were made in the workshops, the exhibition has some traditional Afghan fashion. So the heritage items include a number of antique pieces that Samira actually collected for us when she was in Islamabad. There was a textile dealer there who was actively buying pieces from Afghan refugees. 
and Samira, who has an incredible eye for color and design, we were able to send her money that she could then use to purchase some heritage pieces. And those include traditional chador, which is a, like a, the shawl that a woman would wear every day from the time of her marriage. Um, and it's hand embroidered, and it's something that would have been made likely by herself, her sisters, her mother, her grandmother. We also have a child's bib, which is another very personal expression, but made out of, and this is something that happens a lot in Afghan um, traditional design, is to take an older piece and save what can be saved from handwork and recycle it into something new, which also feels like a nice metaphor for what happens in migration. Along with Samira Yama's dresses made out of burqas, there are also some other contemporary Afghan-Australian designers' clothes in the show. So the contemporary designers include Angela Siddiqui. Her Hope collection is a set of dresses that she actually designed around the traditional Afghan proverb, hope keeps the world alive. Those words are actually embroidered on one of the dresses in the collection, and the embroidery work was completed by one of our workshop embroidery teachers. Mariam Oria from Sakina the Label, her ethos is to recycle old dresses from Afghanistan. So one of her really interesting products are these bonbon clutches, which are just really, really beautiful, colorful purses uh, made out of old dresses. And Mariam Sadiq, who was born and raised in Sydney, but by Afghan parents. And she's very high couture designer. She does a lot of very sort of structural, architectural really dramatic designs. And the dress of hers that we've included is this lavender gown. It has um, silver embellishments, uh, like leaves and beads, and there's this very sparkly top. The skirt and bodice were made by Afghan women that she's employing in Sydney. And the top was embellished and made by her mother, who escaped Afghanistan in the late 1970s. So it's an interesting collaboration with new migrants and with her mother, and it's also just this very colourful, very dramatic statement piece of a dress. I think um, what I've really been amazed by is just the vibrancy of design and the colours that they use and it's, it's, a, it's a way that we in the West we wouldn't really design things but it works. <laughs> they throw all this together and in this amazing way it's just beautiful um, and very distinct I think uh, for Afghanistan, yeah. And especially they really like to, to wear beautiful brighter colour because it fills them as bright colour you wear, it fills them as happier you look which is very important for them, yeah. And it's not just the Afghan community in Newcastle who are learning to embroider. On the day I visited the exhibition, Seema and Nadja were teaching about ten women of all different backgrounds. They were sitting on Afghan rugs, sipping Afghan green tea and learning how to chain stitch the traditional Afghan designs. So she's saying that today as well that I have worked with Australian ladies. So it feels me like I'm in Afghanistan with my Afghan lady, which was very, and especially green tea when I see they're drinking green tea, which was a very happy moment for me. 
We employed Seema. She was highly skilled in embroidery and design, but this was her first job she'd ever had in Afghanistan or here in Australia. She's so proud of her work and, and proud that we've yeah, noticed and acknowledged her, um, what she has to give to the community. She's just, she, you can see her glowing. <laughs> um, and her little um, daughter had said, come up to us and said, my mummy's a teacher now. Social Fabric, uh, Afghan Australian Stories in Thread. It's on in the Lovett Gallery of the Newcastle Library until late June. Uh, there's a link to the detail at the Blueprint page at the Radio National website. And that report by Claudia Taranto. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.